Good morning, church. As you all know, today, the first Sunday of the month, is Communion Sunday, where we get to share in the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what he did for us, the sacrifice that he gave, the all-sufficient sacrifice. With that, there is some scripture that speaks to this very well, and I'd like to share that with you. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It reads, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So this is a big deal. This has been going on since the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is one of the last things that he told his disciples, and it was passed on from generation to generation. So we're talking about 2,000 years, millions and millions of believers sharing in this very special event. Today is our opportunity to do that. It also says later in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to examine ourselves. So this can be a time when we need to bring unrepentant sin to the foot of the cross and ask for forgiveness. This can also be a time where maybe we're struggling with a sin and we have not yet overcome that. We can ask for his help. This is also a time that we can just worship and we can adore him and reflect on that sacrifice. This is an ordinance, one of two that Jesus instituted, that we follow in obedience, addition to his commandments. One is believer's baptism, and then this ordinance here. So if you're not a believer and you have not yet trusted in Jesus, today is the day of your salvation. You can have that. You can write in your seat, write at home, anybody watching, you can believe in Jesus, ask for his forgiveness, receive the gospel, and give your life to him. Now, what does that mean? It means you trust him with your life. He will offer you salvation. He will change your heart. This we all know through experience. We know it through the word. So that can be yours today. We can only love you because you displayed great love to us on that day. No greater love has the world ever seen than the Son of God dying on a cross for a penalty he did not deserve. No more perfect life was ever lived other than yours, Lord. And you poured out your blood. You were beaten and spit on. You were ridiculed and mocked. You were betrayed. Everybody scattered from you, Lord. You knew that, and you still went to the cross for us. Lord, thank you for reconciling us to a God that we were enemies to, Lord. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, you gave your life for us, Lord. Let us understand what that means. Let us enjoy the gospel in a deeper way, Lord. Thank you for this ordinance that you have instituted so we can remember what was given for us and that our debt has been fully paid and our relationship with you now can never be changed. We stand before you 100% justified. Children of the living God, thank you, Jesus. We love you. Let's partake as one body. He is a great Savior, is he not? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, would you turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. If you would join me in a word of prayer, 
before we move into our study of God's Word. Father, we love you so much, and we are so grateful that you have saved us, that you have redeemed us, that you paid such an amazing price, God, that came at such a cost to yourself. Nothing that we uh, could do to earn it, nothing that we could do to deserve it, but such was your gracious will and good pleasure, Lord, that you would save us, Father. And so may we give Jesus the glory that he deserves. He is reward, uh, worthy of the reward of his suffering. And so would you save many, Lord, would you uh, continue to build your church around the world? Would you continue to uh, save people from darkness, bring them into the light, and make them worshipers of the living God? I thank you for the body of Christ here today, gathered here in this building. I thank you for the word that is before us. I pray, O oh God, that you would please speak to us, that you would open our hearts and our eyes, that you would remove all distractions, and that you would uh, meet our deepest needs according to your glorious word. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. <clears throat> I had said one more thing by way of announcements that we would basically do a roster for the men that want to go to the men's retreat and then sign everybody up at once, but we're not going to do that. So men, uh, if you are going, and I hope you are, just go on the website. It's not the easiest thing to find, I will admit. I had a difficult time finding it on the Grace Church website, but the blessing is, is that they're really doing all the legwork in a lot of ways and letting us accompany them. And so there's a lot of work that goes into these kinds of things. And so we're blessed to just be able to join the brothers over there. And uh, all we have to do is sign up and show up. And so praise God for that. And so, uh, again, like Pastor Dan said, we desire as many of our men as can come to come because really it's just a great opportunity for us pastors and brothers to hang out with each other outside of the four walls of the church building here. And God does something really special in that context as well. It's a, it's a special time, something that we don't get to do often. We want to make the best use of every opportunity that we get, which is why we're like, you know, breaking bread after service today out in the courtyard. And if, uh, if money is an issue, just let us know. Um, we'll see if we can, we can assist you in some way, but we don't want that to be the reason that you're not able to make it. Or if you need transportation, we'll be carpooling and things like that. So I just really want you guys to come. Amen? Okay. All right. Well, today we almost conclude the book of James. Not yet. Now, the theme of the book of James is what? Okay, I think y'all could say it a little louder than that. I mean, you got the answer, literally big bold letters on the screen. What is it? Doers of the Word. And on top of that, I've been saying it every single week for several weeks. Not to be just hearers of the Word, which we love to hear the Word, and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, obviously. That's why we want everybody to come so that we can all collectively hear the Word of God. But that's not the end of all things. The goal is to do the Word of God, and that is certainly James's goal for the readers of this letter. James is a pastor. Uh, we've talked a lot about who James is. He's the half-brother of Jesus, 
But he was uh, one of the pastors in the early church there in Jerusalem, and he was kind of like the leader of the, of the church there for quite a while. And so he, he really has a pastoral heart here. He's trying to exhort and admonish the people to actually lean into this thing and to live out the Christian faith. And so up to this point, James has given us many practical things to do or to stop doing kind of on, on both sides. But he wraps the letter up with a call to pray. And that is so fitting. That is so fitting. You know, James has said a lot about the issue of the tongue. He has addressed things like slander, gossip, judgmentalism, inconsistent speech, you know, talking trash about a brother or sister in Christ and then turning around and praising the Lord and he says that ought not be. He's also addressed issues like false promises, which is what we talked about last week, swearing oaths. But not only just swearing oaths, but swearing falsely, loophole kind of oaths, if you will. These are things that we should not be doing as it pertains to speech. But now James is going to tell us what we ought to do with our speech, and that is pray. We ought to pray. And this is very fitting. This is a very pastoral closing to the letter because the whole letter has been about doing, being a doer of the Word. But we should not be doers apart from God's provision of grace. We can't just go and do these things. We need God's help. We need God's blessing. We need God's strength, and we need to demonstrate that we know that we need God's strength and grace. That's why we go to Him in prayer. It shows that we are indeed dependent upon Him and that we know we're dependent upon Him. Now, God knows what we need before we even ask, so we're not filling Him in, as it were, but we are humbling ourselves and expressing every day, God, we need you. Every day we need you, moment by moment, hour by hour. And so this is good. Now, this is what we ought to do, though so often we don't do this. If we're just honest, I think a lot of us really struggle with prayer. It's been said that if you really want to humble a person, ask them about their prayer life. And that is so true. That is so true. I think if you asked most people would admit that they are not satisfied with their prayer life. Most people would readily tell you that, uh, that, that it's something that we wish we did more. <clears throat> and it's hard, even more so in the day and age that we live, there are so many things that are just constantly competing for our, our heart, our thinking, our attention. As soon as we wake up in the morning, it is so hard not to go straight to the phone and start scrolling and checking things or whatever the case may be, but to just quiet our hearts before the Lord and to go to Him in prayer and to acknowledge our neediness upon Him and to try to sanctify and consecrate the day to God. Such a challenge. But that's what James, Pastor James, is trying to encourage his people to do. All of these things that I've laid out before you must be bathed in prayer. Now, James wants to encourage us that prayer is necessary, that prayer is effective, absolutely, that prayer is for everybody. 
It's for everybody. We all have a part to play in praying. And let me also just say, this is not an easy passage. It's a, it's a difficult passage to interpret at times, and it can even be a controversial passage. And so I will do my best to unfold this for us as we go, but I have to say, even as I have studied it this week, it's really been, uh, I've realized new things, I've received new insights, if you will, and it's really excited me to be able to do that. I love how God's Word is like that, you know, so many things that you hear, you read, you understand, you assume, and then you dig into it, and then God just shows you new things, and uh, it's a blessing to read God's Word, amen? It's a blessing to discover, to explore. And so that's what I hope we will do today. Now, many people go to this passage and immediately think healing the sick, healing the sick. And for good reason, because it's in the text, as we will see when we read it together here in a moment. But I'm not convinced that healing physical sickness is really the issue at hand here. I think that really what he's dealing with is the issue of weak and weary and even wandering Christians. And this is an admonition for us to pray, to receive prayer from the pastors, to pray one for another, that we would receive refreshing in the Lord that we would be refreshed, that we would receive strength and vitality and encouragement. Now, I'm not saying it's not talking about praying for sickness, and we'll, we'll get into all of that as we go, but I think that there's a deeper healing that we're being encouraged to receive here. And in Acts chapter 3, when Peter is preaching, he tells the people that they should believe in Jesus, that they should repent of their sins, and that they should receive times of refreshing. Amen? And so I just really want us to focus on really those two things. Refreshing, that's an important word here. Who doesn't need to be refreshed? And the weary. The, the weary. That's, I think, the people who are, are the target for this message here. And who here doesn't feel weary so much of the time? Maybe you're one of those rare few people that are just fully fired up and encouraged today. Praise God. I'm grateful for that. But most of us, we probably just, you know, you barely made it in here. You know, it's like it's not even a matter of, you know, calling in late. You're crawling in late. You know, it just takes everything just to get in here. And so this word is for you. It's for all of us. It's for all of us. And so with that... Let's read the text together. I'll read, and you just follow along. I'll be picking up in verse 13 and reading through verse 18. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, point number one, very straightforward. Pray for the refreshing of the weary. Pray for the refreshing of the weary. I'm going to reread for us verses 13 through the beginning of 15. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now I'm going to spend the majority... I will spend a, a good portion of our time on this right here. So don't panic. Once we kind of get past this portion, we'll move a little more quickly. But there's a lot that we need to deal with right here. And so the first question he asks, is there anyone among you who is suffering? Now, who is James writing this letter to? Context is always so crucial. And you will recall that it is written to Jewish Christians who have been scattered abroad. They had been persecuted. This was a very early persecution in the church. This was a persecution that arose from the Jews against Jewish Christians. And they had to leave. So they were displaced. They were persecuted and displaced Christians. And this was so difficult. This was a trial for real because when you were driven out of your home, out of your community, out of your occupation, you were absolutely destitute. And they didn't have the kinds of things that we have available to us today. They didn't have the kinds of government assistance that we might have available to us today. If you are put out of your livelihood, that is it for you. And you really begin to understand how important it is to be a part of the church if you're a Christian because all you have is the church. All you have is Christ and your brothers and sisters because you've lost everything else. Amen? But you find that Christ is enough. And oh, how God uses brothers and sisters to encourage, strengthen, pray for, and refresh each other. Now the word here for suffering, it is actually kind of a generic term. <clears throat> and it speaks to a wide range of afflictions. This could encompass many things, and I want us to know that <clears throat> because we are all going through different things. Most of us in here today are not probably suffering Christian persecution, but no doubt if I were to ask, and maybe you wouldn't even say it, but you know and God knows you're suffering, that there are things going on in your heart and in your life that have had you down into a place of despair, crushing agony, crying out. Now, I want you to notice something with me. Notice how he contrasts suffering and cheer. He says, is there anyone suffering among you? Pray. Pray. There's a solution. But then he says, is there anyone that is cheerful? Let them sing praise. So it's good. If you're in a place of cheer, praise the Lord. You should give glory to God, and you should be an encouragement to others. So we don't want to just be a people who somehow think that holiness is just being 
somber and depressed and annoyed all the time and we just have to walk around moping. That is not holy, okay? But what I really want to draw your attention to here is I think that this gives us more insight into what the affliction is, the suffering is, because it's contrasted with cheer. So you have those who are suffering and those who are full of cheer. The word for cheerful means high morale, good spirits, encouraged. So you have those who are very encouraged, very spirited, if you will. They have high morale. And then you have those who are afflicted, those who are suffering, those who have lost heart, those who are dejected, those who are totally disheartened, if you will. And so I think that really helps us get to what James is talking about here. You have these two different extremes. And he says, is this you? Are you the one who is suffering? Are you the one who is totally discouraged? Are you the one who is suffering so? Are you the one who has lost heart, has felt disheartened and dejected? Pray. Pray. That is the solution to the issue, is to go to God in prayer. Amen? Now that might, we probably hear that and think, okay, yeah, 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 I know that. Question is, yeah, 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 do you do that? Do we do that? Do we really believe in the power of prayer? Do we really go to others for prayer? Do we really get on our face before God in prayer? Well, just that quickly, James goes from suffering, from affliction, to healing for sickness. Is he moving on to a new thing here? That's one of the questions I think that we need to ask. Because he seemingly turns from this generic sense of suffering to this very specific sense of sickness and praying for healing. Praying for healing. And I think that oftentimes we just make a beeline, we automatically assume that he's talking about physical healing from sickness. But I would say that James is still very much talking about the issue of weariness. And so I want us to keep that in our minds. Weariness. The issue of being downtrodden. I mean, there's so many D's that I can use for this. I, I was looking at, at uh, synonyms, and I, did, I didn't want to be you know, silly about it. But I mean, I think that that's really what this whole passage is about. That's what this whole passage is dealing with. And so James says, is there anyone among you who is sick? Who is sick? Now, the Greek word that we get the word sickness here from, it's not incorrect to translate it as sickness. That is, a, that is a very accurate translation. However, I think that it's better understood as weariness that leads to sickness. So the root cause is weariness that is so heavy, that is so burdensome, that persists for so long that it brings us to a place of sickness even. The, the word there in the Greek, it means weary to the point of sickness, um, spent figuratively. Sometimes we use that language, I'm just spent, exhausted, ready to collapse, toil, to tire, to faint. That's really the idea of this word. And so James is asking, are you suffering? Are you hurting? Are you weary? Are you faint-hearted? 
Are you discouraged to the point of total exhaustion and collapse? That's really the sense of what James is trying to get to here. Well, James says, if that is the case, if that is you, pray. But he specifically says here to go to the elders and let them pray and let them anoint you with oil. Now, elders, this pastors. There's a few different words in the New Testament that are used interchangeably for pastors. Pastor is obviously one of them, but elders is another. It's the same thing. And so James says that we ought to go to the pastors and have them pray for us and even anoint them with oil. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to anoint somebody with oil? Well, when I was in Israel, you know, I was able to buy some of these little keepsakes, anointing oil. You know, you can get them in different little flasks and vials, olive oil, there's all different kinds of oils, right? You even got this little doodad right here with this little thing of oil. We've got that one over there on the speaker. Everybody always thinks that's a, a weed pipe. They're like, what is that, a, a, weed, a marijuana pipe over there or something? I'm like, no, actually it's anointing oil. Sorry about that. But uh, yeah, it looks, it looks funny, I will admit. And so what is the deal with that exactly? Well, it's something that we have done and do often, really, in obedience to this passage here. To take oil and we will anoint someone's head with it and we will pray for them. And I'll talk about the significance of that more as we go. But uh, what, what is going on here specifically? Well, remember, who is James talking to? He's talking to Jewish Christians. This is very early in the church. This is before Christianity had even gone outside the boundaries of Israel and Jews. And so this would hold a lot more significance if you consider it in that context. Now, things, people and things were anointed with oil and consecrated, if you will, in the Old Testament. If a priest was going to be ordained into the priesthood, he would be anointed with oil. And when they would anoint that guy, they did not use something like this. They would take a full bottle, flask. I mean, think about taking a, a bottle of olive oil and just dumping it on someone's head. Because it, talk, it describes this in, Psalm, in the Psalms where it talks about the, the oil running down... Aaron's head and down his beard. I mean, it's like drenching all over you, okay? Now, we don't do that. And truth be told, if we did do that, nobody would come up for prayer, you know? But that was one of the things that they would do. But then it's also used in a number of other places in the Bible, the description of why and how they would use oil and what the purpose of it was. It was for healing, soothing, moisturizing, refreshing. And let me just give you a couple of verses. Isaiah 1, 5 and 6, it says, Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. That means health. But bruises and sores and raw wounds... They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. So the idea here is this figurative language. God is speaking of a spiritual condition, this weariness here, 
this sickness here, this faint-heartedness, but then he puts it in human terms, describing the condition of a body that is beat up and bruised and covered with sores. And then he says, it is not bound, it is not softened with oil. And so the idea there is that oil would be used, it would be applied, and it would bring soothing, it would bring um, it would have a moisturizing effect. It would bring healing. It would soften the wounds, if you will, the dryness. So that's kind of one indication of the idea of oil and how it was used. Of course, we all know the story of uh, the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. There was the, the guy that was beaten and left for dead. And there was a, a priest that went by and a Pharisee that went by and neither one of them stopped to help the guy. And then there was a Samaritan. And we're told that the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this man was who had been beaten. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him there. So again, we see this application of oil to wounds to bring about some kind of healing, some kind of soothing. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about fasting, he says in verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head, and wash your face. And so Jesus says when people are fasting, it's this religious thing they're doing, and they really want people to see how religious they are. And so they just get as disheveled as they can, and they're just walking around, their hair is all jacked up, and face is all dirty, and they're covered in dust, and they're like, oh, brother, please help me. I'm so weary. And they're like, oh, man, that guy, he must not have eaten in like three weeks. He is holy. And Jesus is like, don't do that. If you are fasting, if you are doing something for the Lord, to the Lord, then it's between you and the Lord. And don't let everybody else see that. In fact, Jesus says, wash your face, anoint your hair, fix yourself up a little bit, right? Put some, you know, pomade in your hair and comb it, you know, Dapper Dan. And uh, yes, sir, as I don't have that, you know, that's not uh, something I got to worry about. I wish I had to worry about that. And so, again, oil was, you know, you got this person who's disfigured and disheveled, and you got the person who's anointed with oil, and they're clean, and they're, they're fresh. And so, again, you kind of see this idea here. And then, of course, we know Psalm 23, verse 5. Speaking of the good shepherd, it says, "...you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil." My cup overflows. And of course, this is speaking of the language of a shepherd to his sheep. And at times, shepherds had to uh, clean their sheep. Uh, their sheep would get sick, or they might get some kind of an infection, or whatever the case may be. And it would be up upon the shepherd to take care of the sheep, and at times, even anoint them with oil. And so this kind of gives us, I think, a better understanding of what the Jewish mind would hear and think when we talk about oil, when we talk about oil. So, again, the question is, is that something you sh the pastors should do? You know, are we supposed to, like, dump oil on you 
Uh, and I would say, no. Now, maybe in that time and in that culture, they didn't have the kinds of conditions that we have, and people would come into the church, and they would be all beat up, and they would be sick like that, and they would not have any resources, and they wouldn't have any kind of medical treatment, and it could be that this is exactly what would happen, that the pastors of the church would care for somebody even on that level, and encourage them, and refresh them, and pour oil on them and pray over them and just minister to them in a very deep and meaningful way. And I think that that is a beautiful picture. I think that's an amazing picture even of what it is to try to encourage and minister to someone who's in a place of total despondency. It's another D. Despondent. I don't think I've ever used that word before. But that is a, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a beautiful picture. And so, is that something that is necessary now? No, I don't think so. I don't think anybody would come in here and say, I need, I've got this gnarly wound. And <laughs> I need you to put oil on it, Pastor. You know, I don't think so. I just think that the reality is still there, though, because we have worse wounds than that. We have deeper wounds. We have more severe, more painful wounds. And we, ha we have need of a deeper and more significant healing. And that is the kind of healing that I believe James really has in view here. To be totally refreshed. To be totally renewed. To be totally restored. And how does that happen? Prayer. James says pray. James says go to the elders. Let them pray over you. Let them anoint you with oil. So we do, we do. We still anoint people with oil. And we have had people who were just crushed and broken in a, in a variety of different ways. And we have just surrounded them with love and really focused attention on them and anointed them with oil and prayed over them. And they are so deeply loved and ministered to and cared for. And it really does refresh their soul. Is there something special about the oil? No. It's not. It's just oil, olive oil. But I think that there is something very special behind the significance of it, behind the picture of it. What does oil also represent in the Old Testament? It represents the Holy Spirit. It represents God's blessing. Uh, it, it represents abundance in the land. And it represents gladness and feasting. It represents many wonderful things. And so when we anoint someone with oil, there is some very striking symbolism here. This pictures the covering of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon a person's life. It represents God's lavish grace. It pictures times of joy and abundance and feasting that God brings in His time. Amen? It's an act of faith. We may be crushed right now. We may be struck down right now, but we do believe by faith that abundance will come, that times of blessing will come, that times of refreshing are sure to come. Amen? And so we pray. We pray. We pray by faith. And I just want you to know that we would love to pray for you. We as the pastors of the church here, we're here to do this very thing. That's why we keep that oil right there. That's why we have you know, oil around, because we just want to be obedient to the Word of God, and we want to pray for you. 
We're here not to just be a bunch of talking heads that teach Bible studies. We want to be shepherds who love God's people, who care for the flock of God entrusted to us. And of course, we want to teach, but we also want to shepherd, counsel, encourage, comfort. Amen? Amen. But you got to let us. We can't do any of that if you don't let us, if you don't come to us. And so I think with that, that's a good segue into the next part of our passage here. We talked about weariness and affliction, weariness and sickness, and how we're supposed to pray for refreshing in that. But now we're going to see a weariness, I would say, that comes from sin and isolation. Sin and isolation. Look at verse, the latter part of verse 15. And if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So James now turns to the issue of sin. He went from, you know, suffering to sickness to sin and the need to confess it and to be healed. He deals with sin, consequences, and the solution. And listen, we're still very much in the same context here. Weariness, affliction, suffering. Sometimes our affliction doesn't just come from outside. Some of these Christians were suffering affliction because of their profession of faith and their testimony of Christ, and they were suffering greatly. Sometimes our affliction comes from within. Sometimes our own sin invites serious affliction into our lives. Sometimes we suffer greatly because of our tendency, our propensity to wander from the truth, to backslide, to flirt with, dabble in, compromise and temptation, even to the point where we are in full-blown sin. And what happens when that happens? We can at times be drawn away from God and drawn away from community to a place of total separation and isolation. And that, brothers and sisters, is a place of torment. We become very tormented in that place. And I can just speak from my own personal experience in this as a Christian. There have certainly been seasons in my life where I was far from God. I allowed difficulties and hardships and pain that came from outside to allow me to begin to make decisions and revert to old coping mechanisms and to begin to enter into things that were not of God that only amplified the misery and the devastation and the destruction and the hurt and the pain. And what happens when that happens? We separate from God's people. We isolate, we withdraw to our own hurt. And it only makes the situation that much more worse. And so that's something that James wants to warn us against. Don't let that happen. If you are suffering, if you are in pain, if you are in agony, pray. Go to God. Go to the pastors. Go to one another. Do not isolate. Do not separate. Do not stay in your sin. Now, what I'm not saying that if you're sick or if you're going through some difficult thing that it's a result of sin. I'm absolutely not saying that, and that's not what James is saying. But there are occasions where that can be the case. Even physically, there are times where we can have sin in our lives that affects us in a physical way. 
let me, you know, we, we tend to think of ourselves as a body with a soul, don't we? Now, you, maybe you've never even thought about this before, but we tend to think of ourselves as a body with a soul, but that is backwards. We are a soul. My soul is who I am. My consciousness, my personality, my soul, that's me, and I have a body. I reside in a body, and when this body dies, I will go somewhere else. I'll go to heaven. I'll be given a new body. You understand? Well, the thing is, is that though that is true, we're not, I mean, the, the soul is in the body. The soul and the body are one. And so sometimes the things that we, our souls, are given to can have absolute ramifications even on our physical being. And we can be given over to certain kinds of sin that will just devastate us and can even bring on anxiety, depression, discouragement, and, and can even begin to cause our bodies to break down and do all, all kinds of things. And I can just give you a story. There is a very, very prominent worship ministry. I won't name it, but it's global. And they had a very up-and-coming uh, past uh, worship leader, and he had the he was in bondage to pornography. I mean, he was absolutely enslaved to it, such that it was starting to have physical effects on his body. And you know what he did? He told people he had cancer, and he shaved his head. And there's this song you can find it on YouTube. He wrote a song singing about the goodness of God and healing and how he believed in God as his healer, and that he had oxygen in his nose, and he's singing with all of his heart, and he is lying. He doesn't have cancer. He has physical sickness that is brought on by his own sin, and he is totally lying, and he, it got exposed. And, you know, he repented, and none of us in here would even know who the guy is, so I don't, you know... Um, very obscure guy, very popular worship ministry, but that aside, I think he's even been restored to ministry. But that can happen. That's an extreme example, but that stuff happens. And so there is a time and a place for even praying for forgiveness of sin and confessing and forsaking sin so that we can be refreshed, so that we can be restored. Because look, when we are in the bondage of sin, when we are in the throes of our sin and we are separated from people, and then we come and we confess our sin and we confess it to God and confess it to one another and we receive prayer and encouragement. But man, talk about refreshing. Talk about water for a dry and thirsty soul. I'm sure that we can all just imagine that, to go from the one place to another, which is why James says, pray for one another. Now, this goes beyond the prayer of the pastors. This is the prayer of the church. So that's why I say it's for everyone. It's not just praying, go to the pastors in prayer. No, this is the body of Christ kind of situation here. We are supposed to be regularly praying one for another, confessing our sins to God and to one another, which is why John says in 1 John one nine. If we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there is a time and a place for confessing our sins to God and to one another. Now, this phrase, one another, I talk about this all the time. You find it throughout all of the New Testament. 
many different places. I think maybe like 50 different times. It's in the, in the context of the one another commands, how Christians are to engage one another. And this is one of them. And it is to confess our sins and to pray for one another. Now, this doesn't mean going and telling everybody every little deep, dark secret that you've ever had or every little thing that you've done wrong on any given day. I mean, gosh, that's all our relationships would consist of if that were the case. Every day, all day, we would just be, I send this way, this way, and this way. Oh, yeah, well, I send this way, this way, and this way. And that's all we would ever talk about. But the idea is, first off, when we confess, we are acknowledging. That's what it means to confess. It means to acknowledge. So when we confess to God, we're acknowledging, God, I am a sinner. I am who you say I am. I have sinned against you. And I need your forgiveness. I need your help. I need your grace. And there is a time for that. And there is a time to have very trusted people that you love, that you respect, that you trust, and to have a little circle of believers that you can confide in and that you can be accountable to and that you can say, hey, you know, I'm really struggling in this area and I have fallen short. I have I've sinned in this area. And this is really what Galatians 5 talks about when it says that we should bear one another's burdens and if one among you has fallen, you know, we, we want to seek to restore that brother and, or sister. And so this is what we should be doing. We should be praying one for another, confessing our struggles and our sins one to another. Why? So that we may be healed, is what James says there. Now, before I get to that, let me just say this. Um, 1 John 1, 5 through 7 says that this is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's that word again. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. <clears throat> this is the way it should be. We should have a it should be an environment of people striving to walk in the light, <clears throat> walking in transparency. If we sin, we confess it to God. If we fall short, we confess it to each other. We're not pretending here. <clears throat> We're not isolating from each other. We're not hiding out from one another. We're not pretending to be something other than we are. We're a transparent body of believers who have struggles who need each other, who need God. And so we need to be able to be real with each other. We need to be able to go to one another so that we can pray for one another. Amen? Yeah. That brings refreshing. That brings encouragement. That gives vitality and strength. And that is the very thing that James is trying to encourage the people to do. Are you suffering? Are you weary? Are you weak? Pray. Go to the elders. Are you in sin? Are you stuck? Are you absolutely bound and bogged down? Pray. Go to God and pray for one another. Seek prayer and encouragement from your brothers and sisters in Christ. As I said, Jesus wants to bring a deeper healing. A deeper healing. Luke 4.18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. Amen? Yeah, praise the Lord. That's what He came to do. James wants that. God wants that for us. And that is why James, being moved by the Holy Spirit, wrote that. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to be healed spiritually. He wants our broken hearts to be bound up. He wants us to be refreshed. He wants us to be restored. He wants us to be renewed. And the way that this happens is through prayer. Prayer. And I want you, we'll close with this, 16 through 18, to understand the power of prayer from ordinary people to bring refreshing. The power of prayer from ordinary people to bring refreshing. Look at verse 16, the latter part of verse 16 through 18. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Sometimes our afflictions and our sins may seem like an insurmountable foe, something that we cannot get past, something that we cannot get over, something that we will never conquer or defeat. We may feel that there is no hope for us. There's no hope for refreshment. There's no hope for restoration. But James says, do not discount the power of prayer. And then he points to Elijah as a key example of what God can do through prayer. Now we know Elijah. He was a prophet, 1 Kings. God did many awesome things through that guy. Many amazing miracles. Powerful things indeed. And at first, you might be tempted to think, well, that's Elijah. And I am not. He is a mighty prophet of God, and I am not. And so, how can I expect God to answer my prayers like that? Well, that is the exact opposite point that James is making here. James says, look at Elijah. He did awesome things, right? But he was a man just like us. He is human. He is fallen. Same nature. Same nature. Same fallen sinful nature. King James Version, I think, uses like passions. Uh, the same passions that drive us, that compel us, that at times we fall prey to. Same thing with Elijah. Same thing. He is human, weaknesses and all, just as we are. But you know what? Elijah was righteous because he was in right relationship with God. There it is. He was in right relationship with God. And so are you if you are in Christ. If we are in Christ, if we have trusted Christ for salvation and forgiveness, then we are united to Him, we have received forgiveness, and we have received His righteousness as a gift. And when the Father sees us, He sees the perfect righteousness of His Son. He sees the perfect works and goodness of His Son, and it is in that place we stand before God and are called children of God. And it is from that place that we can pray with boldness. It is from that place that we can pray with great expectation, great expectancy, because we are in Christ, and the Father delights to hear our prayers, and we've been told to come before His throne boldly, 
for help in time of need. Amen? Now, why does James use the example of rain here? He's talking about healing, remember? He's talking about healing. And of course, Elijah did some incredible things. And in fact, he even raised a kid back from the dead. Was it the widow of Zarephath? Is that right? Okay. Why didn't he use that example? Why didn't he use that example if he's talking about healing? But you know what? If he's talking about revival, restoration, refreshment, then this is the perfect illustration because he prayed for it not to rain, and for three and a half years it didn't, and then he prayed for rain, and the rain came, and the land was refreshed. The people were refreshed. And that makes perfect sense. And so James is saying, are you bone dry? Are you empty? Are you suffering? Are you hurting? Are you deflated? Pray. Go to God in prayer. Pray one for another. Seek prayer from your pastors. Receive the refreshing that is sure to come from the Lord. You know, God has a purpose for everything that He does. God allows us to go through times of drought. And it's easy for me to say this, and when I'm going through it, I don't often respond immediately with, thank you for the drought, Lord. I know that this is good and that you're working something good in me. I don't do that. I complain I get upset. I try to pray my way out from underneath it. Right? It's hard for us. I'm just trying to say it's not easy for us. This might not be our first thing that we go to. But the reality is, God does allow these things to happen to us for a reason. And a season. Sometimes we go through prolonged seasons of suffering and hurt and struggle. But you've got to be sure just as sure as the sun will rise that the rain will come. The rain is coming, brothers and sisters. Times of refreshing in the Lord are coming. Turn your eyes to the giver and maker of all good things, the giver of every good gift. Trust in His goodness and His faithfulness. Seek His face in prayer. Cry out for times of restoration, for healing, for rejuvenation. Because He will surely do it. Amen? So let us pray. Go to God in prayer. Pray for one another. And come to us so that we can pray for you. And we'll be up here after the service. After the service closes. If you want to come up and be prayed over, we would love to pray for you. And that's what we're here to do. And so to that end, let us pray right now. Father, we love you, Lord. And we all need to be encouraged in you today. No question about that. There may be someone in here today who has never known the healing touch of Jesus Christ at all. Maybe they are still in their sin and they are separated from you, God, right now. Maybe they feel the full weight of condemnation that they are under. And they're being crushed by it. Crushed by it. They can be set free right now. That burden can be lifted. They can be forgiven. They can be washed clean. They can be made brand new. They can be restored, redeemed, refreshed. All they have to do is believe. Believe that Jesus, You are the Son of God. That You alone are perfectly righteous. 
that you have done the very thing that we have failed to do a million times over. You lived the life of perfect obedience that God requires because He's perfectly holy. The life that we have all failed to live time and again. And you died the death and suffered the wrath that we all justly deserve. And you did it for us so that we would know everlasting life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could receive your perfection, and so that we would no longer be under God's wrath, but we would be under God's love, forgiveness, and kindness. Father, if there's anyone in this room, even now, who doesn't know that or up to this moment hasn't known that, I pray, oh God, that in this moment, just while they sit in their seats, that you would grant them, Lord, grant them repentance. Grant them faith. If that's you and you're sitting here right now, believe. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for our sins and rose again from the grave, that you will have everlasting life, that you will be saved, and all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, I pray for the congregation. You know, God, every need in this room. You know every hurt. You know every failure, every fear, every regret. I pray, oh God, that you would bring healing, that you would pour out that oil, as it were, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, that you would pour out grace and abundance, that you would bring times of refreshing to every broken heart, to every hurting soul in here today. God, we recognize that you are the great physician and you are the healer. You are the healer of of our souls. And Lord, you are a healer of physical sickness and illness. I don't doubt that for a second. And I don't take away from that. And I don't think this passage does either. And Lord, there are people here today that I know are suffering physically. And I know they're desperate to be healed. I know there are people amongst, amongst our church that aren't here today, but who are suffering greatly and hurting deeply. You are a healer, God. You do restore, even physically. And if it be your good will, Father, I do pray for healing, physical healing. For anybody who desires that, God, and you know them, you know who they are, I pray for them even now. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Lord, there are people in here who are suffering from drug addiction and complete and total bondage to their sin, Lord. Pray that you would break that chain, that you would set them free. You came, Jesus, to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. So, Lord Jesus, do what you came to do. Do what we cannot do. Have mercy, O Son of David. Have mercy. We worship you. And you know what, Father? We believe by faith that even if healing doesn't come in this life, there will come a day when there will be a complete and total healing. There will be no more sickness. You will wipe away every tear from every eye. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. And oh, how we long for that day. And in part, I know that sickness does serve to keep us fixed on that day so that our hearts won't be here, but our hearts will be where our true home is in heaven. Oh God, we long for that day. We long to be with you. God, even now, would you have our hearts and our worship, our affection, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he lift up your countenance and give you peace. God bless you guys.